Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Eileen, thank you so much for chatting with me today. But before we dive into our conversation, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. So my name is Eileen, and I am the founder of Our Sacred Women, a movement to restore women to a place of reverence through specialty gifts, events, and campaigns that help women feel seen and honored. We're most well-known for our organic LA-made teas that say affirmations like women are sacred, family is sacred, women's rights are sacred, and mujeres son sagradas. I've been a customer of Our Sacred Women and I fell in love with the brand and the mission when I first stumbled across your offerings. And I was just blown away by the community that you were building for women and the offerings that you were creating for them. So are you able to tell us a little bit about how Our Sacred Women got started and what the driving force was behind the brand and now the community um, that you've been building since you started it. Well, let me start off by saying, Alex, that I'm so honored to have you as a supporter, as a customer. I remember when your order came in, I looked at your name and I thought, no, this can't be the Alex, <laughs> the Alex L. <laughs> and it was. And I've been a fan of yours and saw you speak in San Francisco at a conference and know that I am honored to be with you today too. That said, Our Sacred Women, it came out of a really special moment. I was driving home from grad school at the time. This was in Chicago. I was driving along Lakeshore Drive where you can see Lake Michigan and was stuck in traffic. And all of a sudden, I just looked over towards the lake and had this very vivid image flash into my mind. A man was jogging along the lakefront wearing a white t-shirt that said, women are sacred in bold black letters. And I thought to myself, whoa, where did that come from? And then the image kept playing out and I saw him jogging and people looking at him curiously, wondering what that shirt meant, what that phrase meant. This was back in 2014. And I remember too, part of that experience was somehow intuitively knowing he was wearing that shirt in honor of a woman who was special to him. And he wanted to share this message with the world. And it was an interesting coming together of all these experiences I'd been having up until that point. I volunteered for a number of years with different organizations that support women trauma survivors, a domestic violence shelter, a rape crisis center. I was online sex educator. And then at the time I was in graduate school for marriage and family therapy. I should also add in, I was a trauma sensitive yoga instructor at the time as well at a treatment center for women and girls who had gone through trauma. And I was feeling honestly compassion fatigue at the time, just working with trauma and hearing the stories and feeling those stories in my body was exhausting. So as much as the work was meaningful, I was recognizing that 
it was also wearing me down. And I knew I wanted to find a way to keep doing the work in a way that could be more sustainable for me. And so this moment where I had this daydream or this vision was so timely. It was what I was looking for. It was an idea that would allow me to still support women, particularly survivors of trauma, but in a way where I could focus on what I wanted to see more of in the world rather than working at the tail end with women who've already gone through something traumatic and trying to tell the world to stop doing these things, stop harassing women, sexually assaulting them, you know, all those things, I could focus on what I wanted the world to do, which was to honor women, right? With that phrase, women are sacred. It has a whole different feeling and vibration to it, you know, more elevating and positive. And, mm-hmm. you know, even as I think back, it's been a number of years, I feel uplifted thinking of that memory and that phrase you know it was actually a few years until that shirt came to be and if anyone has seen the shirt I mean it's pretty simple so you might be surprised to know it took me a few years but I had no background in fashion or production I had no clue how to go about going from idea to product and then I also got pregnant with my first daughter Celine and I felt when I found out I was pregnant all my energy went inward and I knew I needed to take a break um but fast forward to 2000, what was it, 16? August. Yeah, I launched the shirt. And what was interesting was this was before the election. And I wore my shirt around town, around LA. And I would get interesting looks. Uh, people would look at my shirt, see the phrase, and look a little puzzled. And then some would get it <laughs> and would say something to me that was positive. But it wasn't until after the election, Alex, and then after January 2018 with the Women's March that I could wear that shirt and people got it. They would see that yeah. phrase and they understood what I was trying to communicate. Women's issues were being brought to the forefront at that time. And since then, my offerings have been growing, though, in the past year, since giving birth to my second daughter, Vera, things have slowed down a bit. I, I don't know if you can speak to those two, Alex. I would love some advice. But how do you juggle being a mom of multiple children, trying to do healing activism and take care of yourself? I'm just, when I told you as we started this call that I'm hanging in there, because mm. there's all these balls in the air and I'm struggling to find my groove, you know, to mm. give a little bit to each one in a way that still feels okay for me. Um, and more recently, I've started volunteering for a local grief support center. I know that, you know, I had two miscarriages mm-hmm. between my two living daughters. And that experience of grief and loss was life-changing for me. And I've integrated that experience into my work and wanting to specialize in supporting not just women, but all people touched by pregnancy and infant loss. So I've been volunteering at the support center and I co-lead a group for young widows and widowers. And I'm doing even more volunteer work as we go along, doing some more trainings to be able to volunteer in different capacities. So let me ask you something. I'm going to touch on your question to me in a second. Mm. But before I do that, when you were talking, there's so much that you're offering 
to your work, to the world, through your energy. And I wanted to know, I think this is a good way to segue into self-care and how we pour back into ourselves, especially as healing activists, self-care facilitators, advocates for healing and taking care. When you are working at the domestic violence shelter and being of support to those women, and then now you're working with folks who are moving through grief, how are you pouring into yourself? Or how did you pour into yourself? And maybe that can serve as a reminder to continue to do so, so that when you show up in your work, you're able to be really deeply rooted and fully present, not only for those who you're serving yourself. What did it look like prior to this new venture of community support? That's a great question, Alex. As I was listening to you, and specifically that part about what did I do before, I felt like my body just shouted out an answer. Not my mind, but my body. My body was said, you used to dance. I used to pole dance back when we lived in Chicago. Yeah. (laughs) This was when it was new, when pole fitness was a new thing and you you didn't really tell anyone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's so normal now. It's so mainstream. But back then, it was 2008. Yeah, it was still kind of that secret you kept uh, but and you smiled coyly when when you brought it up but I used to yeah so I used to dance at S Factor in Chicago and I know that's coming to mind now because I've been wanting to return to some kind of movement I know in my own personal healing that talk therapy and some kind of movement-based form healing is the right combination for me. So I think that that's what I need to return to more now. I started running. I don't know. I think it's very much contingent on where I am feeling in the day as a mother. And that's a huge difference was doing that activist work before. I was single. Well, I wasn't single. I was with my partner, but I didn't have kids. Um, and and now my life is so full. That mother part of me is such a dominant part, a dominant you know piece of who I am now. So I think to answer your question, I just I need to do what I am trying to encourage others to do, which is to be in touch with my body and my intuition and to honor myself. I don't know about you, but I I do catch myself at times recognizing I'm not doing what I'm preaching. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. When I was practicing as a therapist, that was the same issue that would come up over and over again is how can I sit across from these people and encourage them, co-create with them a plan when I am not myself doing that work. I think that's really human for you to say, safe and bold, because all of us go through that. There are moments when I don't take care of myself the best I should. I'm not drinking enough water. I'm not working out. I'm being lazy. I'm procrastinating. You know, like all those Mm -hmm. things, right? And I think that's a part of the human experience. The self-awareness piece is major. Like, damn, I'm not doing that. I'm not (laughs) doing that. And how can I be my own therapist? How can I be my own self-care advocate? How can I be my own friend? And I think that's really what it comes down to is like, how are you loving yourself today? And 
it's hard. I mean, it's not easy. I know people think about self-love and self-care and and they're often very hard to implement into our own lives. And I think that that's how we take our power back and that's how we stand in our power is making time for ourselves. So when I talk about self-care, I'm literally talking to myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of the time, all of the time, actually. And then two, being brave enough to say, hey, you're really slacking. Yeah. How come you're slacking? You know, and like getting to the root of where the procrastination is coming from. Is it exhaustion? Okay, why are you exhausted? Because you're not sleeping enough, you're staying up too late, you're overworking, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. And I think that a lot of society glorifies like hustle, 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 take care of other people, forget about yourself, especially as women. And that's just like, we are the lifeline. Mm. Like there's no way that we can continue to exert all of our energy. So I think that that's something that I talk to myself a lot about. Like I call it checking myself. I check myself Mm -hmm. a lot about stuff like that. And the last time we chatted, you mentioned something that really stuck with me. You said when you were working at the domestic violence center, you had a mentor or someone who was telling you to go home and like purge the energy, release the energy that you collected and to get in a bag and to just like really love on yourself so that you could show Mm. up as your best self the next time. That was actually when I was working at the residential treatment center for women and girls. I was telling my supervisor that I was starting to feel body aches. It's not like I got hurt, but I realized it was from being witness to so much trauma. Even if it was unsaid, just being on campus, being around all these women and young girls, it's the energy and just being around that and feeling that in my body. And I was starting to absorb it in a way. So I asked my supervisor, what can I do? And so she had this wonderful recommendation to create some kind of ritual for myself at the end of my shift so I could feel a very clear transition between Mm -hmm. my work there and then what was to come. So for me, what I intuitively came to do was I would get into my car and usually I worked at night. I would get into my car. I would drive a bit on the side streets before I hit the entrance to the highway. And in my mind, I knew when I got onto that on-ramp, that was the threshold. That was like a doorway for me. And I would let everything I was holding from my shift go. And I did that. So in the moment I got onto that on-ramp, I would take a deep breath, you know, and I would feel, I would give myself permission to let go of everything. Mm. I, I would get home. I would take off all my clothes, put them in a hamper with a lid on it, feel that kind of containment. And I would take a hot shower and I would feel like the water washing away anything that was left, using my muscles. And if it was a particularly hard shift, I would then take a salt bath, a hot salt bath, and have those salts just pull out anything that didn't serve me, that wasn't mine. And so that's what I came to do. And for any of your listeners who are feeling depleted, who are recognize that they're not in a great place, that they want to feel differently, I'd encourage you all to think of what you can do to, like you're saying, Alex, love on yourself, to honor yourself. And maybe it's just one thing today, something simple, whatever that would be for you. Maybe it's the hot bath. Maybe it's a walk for a few minutes. I was working with a business coach 
for a little bit. And she was encouraging me, Alex, to do things in 15-minute chunks. It feels doable. And she said, you know, oftentimes you'll find you do whatever you're doing for more than 15 minutes, but mentally it feels doable, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So for your listeners out there, maybe there's something you can do today for 15 minutes reading, watching a sitcom, something that makes you feel like you're nourishing yourself. So I want to chat before we wrap up about two more things specifically. One, as you work with folks who are moving through grief and loss, what is it teaching you, number one, about your own grief and loss, and number two, about community? I feel like my body is wanting to speak. And I don't know if that sounds weird. I'm distinguishing between myself and my body. But going back to when I used to pole dance, that was a time that I let my body say what it needed to say through movement. Mm-hmm. And in this moment right now with you, Alex, I feel like my body, my, my spirit, my being's coming forth and wants to say, you know, it's hard to face stories of grief and loss as often as I am now. And at the same time, it's so incredibly meaningful and it's been a gift to myself. As draining as some nights can be after group or last week I did a three-day intensive training for clinicians and was wiped out after each session. That said, it's given me so much appreciation for my life and what I have right now because you are constantly reminded that your time to leave this planet, this plane, however you feel about, however you think of it, you don't know. You know, I hear stories that are so heartbreaking and it's just sudden these deaths in people's lives. So, you know, I co-lead a young widows and widowers group. And I have to say, Alex, it's been so healing for my marriage because all those years of resentment and heartache, I just, there's no more energy behind those feelings for me because I get to go home to my husband. I get to touch him. I get to see my kids. It's been a blessing for me in that way, in the way that it gives me appreciation for the preciousness of life and the time we have here. And it's been validating for me to continue to do work that is meaningful because I don't know how much time I have. And I do pray. I identify as spiritual. I was raised Catholic. But I pray. And in my prayers, I say, please give me more time. Please bless me with more time because there's so much I want to do, you know, and I want to be here for my kids. And as far as community, it's shown me the universal truth is everyone, including ourselves, will die. And to be in community with people who are very aware of that fact, Mm. has been so, I don't know what the word is, powerful. Mm. There's the energy in the room. When you're in a room full of people who are aware of their mortality, there's an intensity about it and a feeling of intention. And it's very humanizing. It helps you wash away all the extra that really doesn't, really is not meaningful. It helps you really zero in on what matters to you doing grief and loss work and um, kind of going in a different direction. It's helped me be more discerning about how I spend my time and with whom. So as Mm. far as community is concerned, I'm very selective now about who I am in community with whether it's it's just one other person or more people. If something is not meaningful to me, I have no problem now saying no. Because I don't know how much time I have, Alex. And I want to spend the time I do have with the people who nourish me and doing the things that nourish me.
as I was listening to you talk, like... It's heavy, right? It's heavy, but it's also like so... Hearing you say the resentment, any minor problems or big problems. Or big problems. They don't really matter. I mean, they matter, but they don't really they matter. matter. You know what I mean? And it's... yeah. Like that was powerful. Like that was powerful and true. And I love your prayer for more time. I'm going to sit with that. That was beautiful. It resonates so deeply. And it's interesting. I was looking at Isla the other day, my two-year-old, and I was just like, sometimes I feel like time moves so fast that I don't even get a chance to like see her. Yes, girl. Does that make does that make <laughs> yes. sense? It's like yes. this morning when she woke up, she calls for daddy, she calls for me, she calls for her sisters. I hear a baby back there. <laughs> and she calls for everybody. So she'll say everyone's name, let's just say, Good morning, everybody. I'm awake. And this morning my husband brought her into the room and she climbed on the bed and I just snuggled her and I just was telling her how much I miss her and how, you know, it was just me and her, you know, when her big sister went to school and before I had Max and got pregnant, it was just me and her. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just telling her how much I miss her because sometimes I know that she looks at me and Max, the little baby, and it's like, she gets kind of jealous and she gets kind of sad. And she's Mm -hmm. like, mommy, I want to cuddle you too. I want to cuddle too. And I'm just like, oh my God, like it just breaks me. So this morning we had a moment and she goes, I miss my cuddles. And I said, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'll cuddle you more. Those moments just remind me that we need to slow down and take a minute and really get close, especially with our kids. Like, get close. I think it was Oprah. She said something about when a child walks into the room, how important it is to have an adult who, when they see them, they light up Mm -hmm. at that moment. And if it was not Oprah, it was someone else wise. Um, (laughs) But that has stayed with me. So there are times where I will remember that. And so when I'm in the room with, especially Celine, Mm because she used to get all the attention as well, to really see her and to light up when I see her. Mm. So Mm -hmm. she knows. Going back to the healing activism we're doing, Alex, it's hard because the work we do is so meaningful and we're excited to do it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, we want to be present, like really present with our kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that juggle. It's interesting. And I've been with my oldest, who's 12, I've been going on dates with her once a month, just me and her, no papa, no babies, just me and her. And it's been fun. And it gives me a chance to get to know her. And it's just magical. So before we wrap up, I want to know how it feels to be a woman of color in this space, how your culture and your cultural background plays a role in the work that you do, in the brand you've created, in the communities that you're touching, and what advice you'd give other women of color who are looking to use their talents and their ability to heal and listen and take on and also take care. So to answer your question, I'll take you back just a little bit. In college, I went in as the pre-med major, clearly, because I'm Asian, (laughs) Asian American. And then I took an Asian American course. Mm -hmm. And in this course, I saw images of Asian, at the time, immigrants, Asian immigrants in America in the 20s. Filipino. I saw some photos of Filipinos in particular in the 20s. And I thought, wow, we were here? And then I learned we were here much earlier too. Something about that was so validating. Like I am allowed to be here. 
my parents immigrated from the Philippines. I was born here. And yet I still grew up feeling, and even though I didn't face much like overt racism, I still grew up feeling a sort of lack or feeling like I'm not entitled to the same things that say like a, a white American is. And so I decided to change my major. And it was one of the best things I've done in my life because I spent four years learning about, you know, my community in a way that was so validating. And so to answer your question more directly, how do I bring my identity as a woman of color into my work? I mean, it's such a driving force in all I do because I remember the feeling of not being seen. Until I was in those college classes where I saw pictures of people who look like me, I realized I felt unseen all this time, you know, in mm. our media and our culture. Mm. And so becoming a therapist was because I felt unseen in my personal life, in my relationships. And I wanted to help other people feel seen the way my therapist helped me feel seen. With our sacred women, it's the same thing. It's wanting to let women know you too are sacred as you are, and you're deserving of all the things that your heart is calling for. So if you feel unseen, I want my brand to help you feel seen, to feel witnessed. And in the grief work I'm doing, I'm doing all this training and this volunteer work for my personal benefit because it's meaningful to me and also because I'm writing a book about pregnancy loss. And I want through my book, for people to have that felt experience of being seen. And I think that's so applicable for people of color, experience of not feeling seen or not feeling worthy, to then find ways where you are affirmed. And it's important to get that externally. If mm -hmm. you've not grown up with that seed planted in you early, and I know with me, my girls, we're trying to do that. We're buying all the books <laughs> that show people of color, you know, women of color, mm -hmm. all those mm -hmm. anthologies of celebrating all these women who've done amazing things in the world. We have so many of those. We want them to grow up seeing examples of who they can become, seeing these images that resemble them so that they know they're allowed to be and they can give themselves permission mm -hmm. to follow their intuition and to take up space and to assert themselves, all those things. Who are you today? The first thing that comes to mind is mother. I'm a mother. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.